Thank you for tuning in to the You Own the Experience podcast. In this week's episode, Lauren and Rob rap about the great resignation and are joined by Anastasia Valentine, president and managing partner of Resource One, an IT consulting and staff augmentation firm out of Chicago. Man, Jones, and Valentine share the causes behind the great resignation, COVID's role in some of these causes, and the opportunity that the great resignation presents. This isn't actually the great resignation, they argue, but rather the great migration. People aren't leaving jobs, they're switching jobs. And if your company can position itself as a destination, you have the opportunity to capitalize on the now significant supply of available talent. The trio also chats about how the great resignation has been caused by a generational change in the workforce, the role of technology in offering the flexibility that today's talent is searching for, how small and minority-owned businesses could be included in the technology-driven future, and the do's and don'ts of Calendly links in an at-times spicy debate. This episode is brought to you by Able and Leap Consulting Solutions. Please remember to rate, review, and share the episode, and you can subscribe for all the updates and live chats at www.ableteams.com slash podcast. Enjoy! What is happening, Rob? Lauren, how are you? I am doing pretty well, all things considered here. You got the COVID-19. I'm rona You got the Rona. It's hard to joke about it because it's been pretty tragic, but... I know. I had a really light case. My wife had a pretty light case. We are feeling better as of this day. The Broward County Health Department actually called me after I tested positive, which I thought was very adult. It's nice to see governments acting like adults. They told me today was my last day I had a quarantine if I wasn't experiencing symptoms. So I'm going to get tested again, but I might venture out in public for the first time. Oh my goodness. Well, we are at the racetrack this weekend. I see that. Lauren is recording this from her trailer, her bougie-ass trailer. (laughs) Yes, from the Legacy Motorworks coach. So fancy. We are at Buttonwillow, which is not so fancy, near Bakersfield, California. Not necessarily the hottest spot. But a very fun racetrack, nonetheless. I can hear the cars racing by. This is amazing. And you, well, yeah, I can see them. It's pretty amazing. I like it. Anyway, it's a good background noise. So guys, this episode is about speed, apparently. So our guest this week is Anastasia Valentine. She's a managing partner, managing director of Resource One based out of Chicago. They do super high level IT placements, consultants. I've known Anastasia for about three or four years now. She's really awesome. She really cares deeply about technology and enabling her really small team with technology to do really big numbers. She's pretty incredible. And here's the deal. There's not too many women that are in technology. We are of the few. So it was really nice to have this conversation with her, which I'm excited for everybody to hear because we're going to address the great resignation that people are talking about with such fear. We're going to talk about fear in and of itself and talk about some of the generational changes that in some ways I think are really cool. I think that the fact that we're questioning as a society how work should work and do I live to work or do I work to live? I think the fact that we're challenging traditional ideals is super, super exciting. I'm excited for people to hear our conversation with her because she's got a great perspective. Yeah. And she did a ton of research. Her team did a ton of research for her. So she was super well prepared for this, which is really nice. But I guess is more prepared than you are, per se. And I think we recorded it in the beginning of September or towards the beginning of September. And the jobs report came out last week with that 4.3 million people leaving their jobs in August in total, which was crazy talking about the great resignation or great migration, right? Like I think it was either Posner 
or Hornick or one of the guys that I follow on LinkedIn who's like, hey, they're not just dropping out of the workforce and not going to work. They're going to do something cool or they're going to a better job that's going to treat them better. They're going to create stuff on Etsy and be part of that economy. They're not resigning and like dropping out of the workforce. They're resigning to maybe be more passionate about the things that they're working to do. I think that particularly Gen Z, there's this sense of belonging and that you don't have to be necessarily defined by your work, but if you are, you better damn well love it. And I just think it's a lesson to, you know, all of us older Gen Xers and what have you. Who love to suffer. Who love to suffer. Oh God, we Gen Xers love to suffer, right? You got to put in your lumps. Yeah. Got to earn your stripes. That's what the baby boomers sold us, right? Well, you guys sold us a bunch of debt, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm excited about this conversation. She's got so much really great data to bring to the table. And like I said, a really great perspective. By the way, going back to technology for a second, she has like the most intense tech stack. We don't get into the episode, but if you ever get a chance to listen to her. You got to ask her, guys. Her ship is tight. She has a well-oiled machine. And so if you're curious about how to tighten up your ship, you need to talk to her because she's got her proverbial ship together. And I said that with a P. She's got her ship together. Plosive. It's a plosive. We got to turn away from the microphone when you drop B's and P's, as we learn in singing school. Oh, were you in singing school? What's happening? You know, my wife is an opera singer. (laughs) I know that, but I had no idea about you. Have you ever told me your go-to karaoke song? I was never a karaoke lover. But you're a singer. I know. But first of all, opera singers don't typically sing with a microphone. If we do, it's a different type of microphone that sits a little bit lower. Because you're going to belt into it. Right. You don't have a microphone up to your mouth where you have to be really cognizant about dentals and plosives. And those are all of the diction things that we have to be concerned about. And your wife will know what I'm talking about. So we were not taught to sing in a microphone like that. So it's just a different experience. I still need your go-to karaoke song. My answer is I don't have one. Not like Bohemian Rhapsody? So you could go, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, no. Oh my goodness. Career Builder made me get up and do Sweet Caroline, which I did not know the words. It's a very inappropriate song. I don't know. So I have no answer for you. Touching hands. Anyway, Mine is Regulate by Warren G and Nate Dogg. Go figure that one out. You know what? I could do some sweet M&M. Oh, can you? By the way, you cannot do a sweet M&M. It is so much faster than you think it is. I do this to people all the time. We were doing karaoke in Nashville and this guy was like, oh, I'm going to do M&M. And I'm like, bro, you want to do like what I did or you want to do like Method Man. Eminem is in a league all by himself. Number one in his diction, delivery, and speed. First of all, I'm a classically trained musician. I will bet you $100 the next time we are in person that you quit in the middle of an Eminem song trying to do a karaoke. No way. I will happily give you $100. All right. You guys heard this because this is in the episode. I need more money. All right. $100. You will sputter because Eminem to actually deliver it. And I hope you practice because it'll be worth $100 if you have to practice I think you're underestimating my Eminem skills. No, I'm overestimating how easily people think they can drop a rap verse doing karaoke. Clearly you haven't heard my version in my bedroom. All right. Listen, I'm happy to pick a song that Eminem does, not the fastest, like a very popular one, and we will let you deliver it. Online, when this episode releases next week, put five songs up in the comments. And we'll pick one or we'll have everyone pick one. So you have a week to pick the five songs. 
Anyway. I get to choose. Pick the five and like, we'll like narrow it down to two and then you can pick which one you actually do. But like pick popular ones. Don't go crazy. I think my dad's gone crazy. <laughs> Some of those songs are It's a lot rough. of profanity. They're just rough too. Like he is so good. And he creates beats. You know, it's fascinating listening to him because he creates a beat a lot of time with his words. Anyway, hilarious sidetrack. <laughs> Guys, after this short break, we will have our interview about the great migration, the great resignation with the great Anastasia Valentine of Resource One. Lauren, stick around. Who is this episode brought to you by? This episode is brought to you by Able, and it is also brought to you by Leap Consulting Solutions. There we go. All right, guys, I'll see you on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Leap Consulting Solutions. Our firm focuses on three areas of opportunity as it pertains to technology in our industry. First is expeditious acquisition of technology, helping you make quick decisions and good investments for the betterment of your organization. The second is business process change management and adoption. And then finally, evangelization of your new differentiators of your digital transformation. Call Leap Consulting Solutions today. Able offers a fully featured onboarding automation platform to help staffing firms just like yours ensure all candidates have a world-class onboarding experience. The company's mobile-first platform makes qualifying, hiring, and engaging candidates easy for everyone involved. Able is trusted by some of the world's largest staffing agencies and can automate even the most complex of hiring workflows, giving your team 40% of their day back and allowing you to hire up to 90% faster at half the cost. Visit ableteams.com to learn more. What's up, Lauren? How are you doing? I am super fly, as you say all the time. Lauren is feeling herself. She's been talking for eight hours straight, and it's only 11 a.m. Pacific time. Maybe not eight hours, but it's been a lot of hours. My voice is all husky. I got a little sexy nightclub going on. It's like she smoked a pack of cigarettes before waking up. A little bit. (laughs) Anyway, with us today, we have actually one of my favorite former customers and also just someone who's very passionate about the industry. We have Anastasia Valentine of Resource One. How are you doing, Anastasia? I'm good. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on today. I love your name. It's just movie star. Right? I just love it. Thank you. Anastasia, why don't you give a quick background of the company? And your experience, which is pretty significant in the industry. All right. Well, I guess I'm super fly today, too, just like Lord. <laughs> right. Super fly. Super fly. We've all been going since 7 a.m. this morning, conquering different business issues, but all live in a good day. It's Friday. So I'm ready for the weekend. With that said, Anastasia Valentine, glad everybody's tuning in today. President of Resource One, specialized in technical consulting in the staffing industry been incorporated since 1982. Very fortunate to be a leader in this company for over 23 years. I get my Rolex at 25, so we'll have to throw that out there at some point. Closing in on that 24 year this October. So really enjoy the industry, specialize all in technology around North America, including in our own tech stack here. So we staff for it and we do it internally as well. That's been an exciting part of our journey. I've gotten to sit down and get walked through the data flow. So if you guys ever need a resource, you know, learn from the industry, I'm from the industry. If you want to get some advice from 
literally the horse's mouth, somebody who's built out a really robust tech stack and, and utilizes it really well. She has a small team, but they kick ass and they grow every year. So Anastasia is definitely a tech stack expert and almost like a philosopher, I would say. She waxed poetic about technology, both internally and externally. And that's not hyperbole. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I've literally heard her give keynotes on tech stacks and how to do it the right way. But that's not why we're here. So surprisingly, we're not going to talk about technology today, even though we have two gurus on. And then me, who's just lucky to be in the room, usually. You really are. You really are. (laughs) Listen, you got to put yourself out there to be in the room. What we're going to talk about today is the great resignation. And again, Anastasia, staffing HR expert, right? Someone who researches and reads. And like I said, she's a philosopher, right? So she really cares about these things and studies them. We are seeing, what's the stat, Lauren, if you want to give your numbers? Oh my goodness. I mean, there's so many statistics behind it. And we talked about this pre-call, whether you're Yahoo or Microsoft, you've got 55% of individuals saying that they are going to leave their job in the next year, considering leaving their job in the next year. There are startling statistics around people who are looking and are looking to resign and for very specific, but varying reasons. So I think that We have a hill to climb as employers, and we're going to talk a little bit about that hill that we are going to climb together. It's really not just like resigning and retiring. Some of it might be, but I think the majority of it is migration. So James Hornick from Hirewell said, it's really the great migration, or Adam Posner, one of those guys, one of the two that I follow. I think it was a bit Adam, but it's not a resignation. It's a migration to something different, either their own business or someplace that's going to take care of them, which I know Anastasia does for her employees. So Anastasia. You want to give us a couple of things that you've been reading and seeing and experiencing in the staffing recruiting world? Yeah. You know, it's interesting when we were talking about picking this topic, Lauren and I talk about technology every day, all of the time. But the bottom line is no matter what technology you have, which is a component of the great resignation, you have to have a team to use technology. And so as everybody scrambles post-pandemic and during pandemic to build these tech stacks and to be able to address this remote workforce, we're seeing an alarming statistic of people resigning jobs. You know, to put it in perspective, the BLR reports in the first five months of 2021, over 17 million private sector workers decided to quit their job. And that averages about 3.4 million a month, which is alarming. And to put it into perspective, if you look pre-COVID, we were talking maybe 2.5 million workers may have transitioned in a month's period of time. By far, this is an alarming and unprecedented amount of people transitioning jobs. I agree that one third or more of the workforce is looking to make a move, depending what you read, a little higher, a little lower. But as we were kind of laughing today, that number shifts dramatically among the generations. Mm-hmm. I know that we've talked a little bit about that, and I don't want to overdominate all this information. But as you read these articles, you really realize, holy cow, as a business owner, I have to really look at how am I going to address various generations within my workforce who are all asking for different considerations to maintain employment with our firm? And then how do we take this out to the marketplace, right? Because of our clients that we're staffing and we're working with are behind the times that it makes it even more difficult for us to find human capital, which is what we specialize in and get them to stay there. I think it kind of ties together, right? Like we've been saying kind of the pre-call is the generational expectations set how you have to either attract or retain, if you can, this workforce, right? And Lauren and I are part of a group called the Champions Council. We bring it up every podcast because its principle is people over everything. People are your most expensive, but also your most valuable thing in your business, right? 
at any time. Technology is great. It enables them and amplifies them, but it's still not going to replace a really good person. So if we were to say what factors are causing this great resignation or migration at that high rate, by the way, I wrote it down, 17 million, 3.5 a month average. It's crazy, but is it necessarily crazy to how many people got laid off and reorganized and furloughed last year in comparison? And then also the secondary question that I keep thinking is how do we stop it? And do we understand the factors that are causing it? You know, we kind of do in general terms, but is there stuff that these scientists, right? You were mentioning Anthony Klotz, is it? From Texas A&M, the professor? Yeah, associate professor, Texas A&M, who specializes primarily in human capital. Does he have some ideas? Obviously, we kind of know the ins and outs, like the very kind of basic level, 10,000, 30,000 foot. But what do we have tangible? Like, what have we seen? If someone resigns and they get the exit interview and they're like, well, because you suck as a boss. Is that what's happening? Or like, you're not thoughtful. Your PTO policy sucks. There's any number of things, right? Like, what can we attribute to it? Or do we have to look at it on a generational level? Well, I think there's some of both. It's very interesting when you look at the generations, you look at a millennial and a baby boomer generation that typically is the first me generation and now the second me generation. Their reason for leaving organizations really do revolve around them. Where you have a Gen X that's a little bit more of a silent generation, but is really about a work-life balance, maybe in a different way than what a millennial or Generation Z would define that. There are some interesting pieces about this article. I think the first thing is that the Gen Zs and the millennials are really driving the work-life balance. It's interesting to read that the millennials are actually the first generation, and I started laughing when I read this, they're the first generation to average under a 40-hour work week. They average at 388 And I was laughing at this and I think about when I started in the industry, I think I averaged about a 70-hour work week. I don't know about you, Laura V. Jones, but I don't ever recall working a 38-hour work week in my life. (laughs) I agree. And what's so funny is, to your point earlier, this is very generational. Millennials represent 41.4% of the workers in the workforce. Gen Zs are roughly 5%. They'll be estimated 27% in 2025. And part of what we're seeing here, I think, is very generational, where you have millennials who statistically are accustomed to working overtime, but now don't want that normalized. They want to celebrate having a life out of work. They want to normalize instead of living to work, the working to live type of mindset. And the great resignation is evidence of that shift of mentality. And I think that organizations that are going to celebrate this life outside of work, this persona outside of work, mandating time off, creating really explicit sort of work-life boundaries, I think are going to do better in that change of behavior or the change of perception. And I think COVID, it's like Voldemort, right? We don't talk about it. (laughs) But I think COVID has taught us is that we can have that. We can work to live and not live to work. And we can have some semblance of a home life and still achieve you know, you're seeing entire careers being shifted to remote situations. Speakers who were normally flying all over God's green earth to go speak, who are now doing virtual speeches and being paid, you know, handsomely to do so. So there are the hospitality industry is now moving remote. So I just think that so much is changing and we're seeing the sort of generational influence is just changing the mindset that we just don't have to work 120 hours a week. We don't have to go back to work 
after five weeks of maternity leave, I went back at five weeks too with my youngest. And we just don't have to be all things to all people, which is the Gen Xers. That's what we did. We were all the things to all the people taking the least amount of time off, the least amount of vacation and the least amount of maternity and paternity leave. It wasn't even such a thing. I think that the millennials have done a good job in changing that behavior. I like it. We shouldn't live to work. I like it too. I'll tell you, I've lived to work my whole life. It's really nice to work remote a couple days a week. It's nice to sit at home with my family and have a dinner. It's nice to throw it in the oven four o'clock and have it ready at 5.30. I feel like I've raised a bunch of habits in my house. We have first dinner and then we have a second dinner and first and second breakfast. And you know what I mean? Like there's so many different schedules of when people come and go, you never really get an opportunity to sit down as a family. And I'm excited about it. So there are some concerns, interestingly enough, where these models come to, well, how has an organization become successful implementing these and addressing the need? And on the flip side, as much as we have people wanting these schedules, there's also a lot of talk, failed remote implementations where companies don't have the technical infrastructure to support it. People's jobs have gotten redundant or numerous additional steps. People are Zoomed out, man. They're tired of being on Zoom. People don't even put the pictures on anymore. No one wants to see the video. They're just tired of being online. And an interesting fact that I think really was shocking to me is that in the small and medium businesses, there's actually like a 17% variant in small businesses being able to successfully adapt these remote accommodations because they don't have the technical infrastructure to do it. So minority businesses, women businesses are getting impacted a lot harder and small business, especially in being able to attract talent, which certainly we want our small and medium businesses to be successful and uh, prosperous as well with the model. I ask a lot of questions in my head as that comes up, right? Like, where is it falling short? Well, that's a meaty topic in and of itself because you have those that feel marginalized, having a fear of coming back to work because everything is so contentious right now and politics are sort of crossing the barrier coming into the workplace. I will say that I think keeping a neutral tonality, particularly in the executive leadership and sort of keeping that out of the workplace Because for those people that feel like they may be marginalized or what have you because of their belief system or because of who they are or that we have to be super mindful about that separation of, for lack of a better term, sort of church and state. I think keep the politics out of the office because there is resistance and there is fear in coming back to the workplace that I have read time and time and time again, that that is one of the biggest resistances to coming back to the office is for the fear of, you know, whatever political views or whatever views you may have on controversial topics. And there's a plethora of them to choose from right now that you keep it out of the workplace. I feel like most companies really, they don't support topics like that so much. I think in talking about small and medium businesses from a neutral perspective, it's about resources and access to capital. And it's a lot easier for larger companies to mobilize in the respective assets, but maybe harder with the amount of users, is where even in the staffing industry has been historically known as kind of a lagger and an adoption of technology. 
and even some of the smaller staffing industries, right, as they adopt and bring on technology, I think will make a hybrid plan or a model for them a lot more successful. It would reduce redundancy and difficulty for their team. It's such a great point. And I don't want to get on my soapbox. Here we go. But (laughs) here we go. Dust it off. Dust it off. Dust it off. Okay. So I have said this for like the last year and a half. You are 100% right. Minority-owned business owners are being asked to participate. Look at VMS and MSP. They are required to work with a specific number of minority-owned vendors because of contracts or MSPs that they sign. So they're asking for these small businesses to participate in a meaningful way to VMS or MSP programs. And yet we've made the technology for them to meaningfully participate unaffordable. This is a good soapbox. Yeah, it's a real thing. I wasn't sure where you were going, but you were 100% right. It does impact the great resignation, tying exactly back what Laura says. It does. Because when you think about it, if you have back to what Laura is saying, if 35% or 41, somewhere in that number, millennials are in the workforce, if 5% currently is Gen Z, but by 2025, it's 27%, you're really addressing the millennials who are the digital pioneers where they look at technology and they're obsessed with it about how great it can be. And then you take in the digital native, who is your Gen Z, where they're looking at technology and really basing it on, is it efficient? And so this whole workforce coming out here has such high expectations for how they are to do their job. And it's a huge component, like 60 to 70% factor in whether or not a company will be able to retain this talent. It's that big of a factor for them to make a job change. And alarmingly, not to give Gen Zs or millennials a hard time, but you know, in a 16-year span, now why they gave 16 years, I don't know. They're expected to change jobs 10 times. I mean, our goal is to keep them for four of those years, maybe, versus 1.6 on average. That's where the tech becomes a player. Are we as mindful recruiters, and we're all recruiters, regardless of where you started in the industry, we all have a mind for that. Are we being mindful of that? Are we now looking at resumes differently? Are we changing our behavior and going, oh, well, you haven't been there for five years? Well, then you are not a candidate. Are we changing our behavior and going, okay, this is the way that I look at it now. Okay, curriculum vitae, course of life. Can you tell me why? you've made the steps that you've made. That's what I want to look for now is I don't really care if you've been here or there or everywhere because we've sort of fractionalized our workforce as it is. Can you explain to me why you've taken that path? And for me, if there's a plan and there's a progression to why they've taken these steps and they've had these certain number of jobs, that's really the story that we need to be able to tell as recruiters when we're submitting those candidates. But I fear that we're still doing what we've always done and looking at a candidate one way. But that's okay because everything comes out in the wash almost, right? Like if you think about the long-term course of that, if you don't adapt to the reality of the workforce that you're working with, you're not going to get that great talent. You're not going to place it. You're not going to have your customers praising you and talking about you and getting those referrals and that word of mouth. And it's going to come out in the wash. And that's also, I want to take the minority owned and like the groups that have trouble accessing capital to grow. Because Anastasia, you're right. It's hard to grow if you can't get access to capital to buy those technologies. So let's take them out for a second. And let's think about, you have staffing and recruiting firms who didn't adopt technology historically. You have them being very 
bullish in their use of sales tactics, just pounding the phone, not creating a brand, right? Like there's a lot of talk about employment brand and that all comes from a circle. It comes out in the wash. It's up the game. It's adapt. And not to be rude, but it's like adapt or die in a business sense. Do more with less. And that's what technology allows you to do. You do more with less. Instead of one person producing 2 million, you take one person and you bring them to eight or 10 million. Which someone I know does a really good job at. No names said here, but I know someone on this call who's pretty badass at that. Hint, hint. I was just going to say, I do think though, so I think the counterbalance of this is to that accessibility for minority-owned vendors, to that accessibility, how do we help them be creative? Because there is a way to help them. And yes, they may be partnering with newer technologies. HR tech investment has gone from, I think the stats were like 1.7 billion to now over 5 billion in new HR tech and investment and venture capital and all of that good stuff. So, okay, we have no shortage of new technology. So how do we align? And typically those newer technologies are going to be less expensive, right? Because they're still looking for proof of concept. And so maybe it means that some of those smaller companies take a little bit more risk in a newer technology, but can we align them? Can we potentially align them with somebody that can potentially solve their problem? And I think the ones that do that correctly, and I find this in SMB minority-owned vendors that technology vendors, please focus on this. You need to support your retail, your SMB consumers because they are the next ADECOs and they are the next big thing and we have to nurture them now. So I think that there is a way to meet in the middle. We either need big technologies to make it more affordable and maybe it's more affordable for a short period of time. I don't know what that answer is. Or maybe it's they just have to invest in something new, something newer, take on a little bit more risk and innovate with a new tech. Yeah, $658 billion in technology purchasing just for all of these companies to be able to adapt to a remote workforce. I mean, that's astounding. Astounding. A 529% increase in communication tool procurement alone, 167% in video resume tools. It's astonishing. Conversations went from 100 chats per day to 500 chats per day. It's crazy the amount of acceleration we, a change adverse industry, were able to make in that short period of time. And now that we know we can do it. Well, I think that's great because being a woman in this industry for as long as I have been, including you as well, I feel like I put in my fair share of time. I put in my time. It's really nice for me in the latter part of my career to have the flexibility before my last bird flies my nest, to have a nice dinner with him and my husband, you know, a couple times a week, grab a tennis game at five at my tennis club, right? Instead of always having to say no, because I can't get there till seven and the sun's already down. So, you know, these are great benefits, I think, for all generations. You know, it's interesting. There's no doubt. I think every generation that you look at really believes that a work-life balance is critical. And COVID has opened up the door here and it's being driven by the Gen Zs and the millennials. And so in a certain way, I say thank you to them. It will benefit everybody in the long run. As the millennial on the call, you're welcome. Yeah. But as a business owner, it's challenging me to think about things a little bit differently. 
in how I build a team, how I scale growth. How do you maximize the value of a seat of production in the company? And those are things that we'll have to figure out, like every other company, how we adapt to this new norm. But there's one thing that I'm certain about in reading and learning a lot about this topic is that it's here and it's not going anywhere. And whether you started experiencing it or if you started to already see it, if you haven't seen it, you will soon. You know, and keep in mind, there's a large number of people that are on your team today that are looking to make a change. You just don't know about it yet. And I think you keep saying it. It was interesting to me too, Anastasia, was like, it kind of like was like playing skip on a generation. So baby boomers and millennials are like the first me generations, so kind of very similar, right? Baby boomers are the first me's. Then you have your Gen X, which they really call the quiet, kind of the forgotten generation. And then you go back into the me generation too, the millennials. Yeah. And then you skip the Gen Z's seem a little bit more adaptable to, like you were saying on on our pre-call, to what's going on. Technology for them, it's funny. The interesting thing with the millennials and the Gen Z, they do talk about it a lot. You know, millennials or Gen Y, however you want to call it. Technology was emerging when they were younger. You know, when you talk about the digital pioneers, it was like fascinating. They love sitting in a coffee shop. The ability to do these things with technology is historically fascinating to them is where Gen Z's, it's kind of like growing up with a pencil or a pen or a ruler. Or like having a color TV. Yeah. It's like, all right, I grew up with a color TV, so I don't appreciate the difference between my parents who had black and white. They look at technology a little differently. Like it doesn't excite them as much. Is it efficient? And do I want to use it? And there's a little bit difference about a personal touch with them. It's not such a new shiny penny for them. So in the workforce, what I hear you saying is like, it's really important for the technology to be efficient and work well. Whereas like sometimes millennials are more just like big eyed and being really excited about there is technology that works well. It's a generalization, but I'm trying to summarize. No, you're right on. Is it real cool? It's totally cool, right? It might be cool, but it might not be efficient. So you're measuring the cool factor and an efficiency factor. And it's very interesting and it's very predominant between the two generations. My millennials want to buy everything. My Gen Zs are the biggest individuals who scrutinize its efficiency and whether it's worth their time to utilize it. Oh, interesting. It's so funny. I don't like buying everything, but I like seeing everything as a millennial. I don't necessarily want to buy it unless it's actually going to make my life easier now. I think I've grown past the phase of just like, oh, I want everything. I'm like, no, that might just be more work or I'm not going to use it. I'm also that way about apps on my phone, which is probably the way I buy technologies. Do I really need another app on my phone? And how much utilitarian use or joys is going to give me if I have it, whether it's business or not? Anyway, I think it's fascinating. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, is there anything that you are seeing from a staffing and recruiting perspective that is tangible every day that your team is reporting back to you from the great resignation that's affecting you know, you don't have to talk about numbers or whatever, but just kind of broadly how it's affecting the business and how they're going to market and, and working in the market and, and with your customers and, and your candidates. Yeah, I do notice specializing in technology, and I suspect that this will be across all verticals of staffing, our ability to bring in clients who kind of follow this methodology. You know, this is kind of an emerging change with a lot of our clients. We're fortunate in tech that it's really easy to take these tech engines and put them remote first. They seem to be the always group that goes first. So like, for example, we have 
healthcare clients, right, who have vaccine mandates, but our people don't have to get vaccinated because that whole department is remote and they won't ever bring them on site. And so you have different types of jobs where in different industries you might have vaccine mandates. I know President Biden's looking at companies that are 100 and over for mandatory vaccine mandates and or weekly testing. Well, that should be if they come to the office. If you're a thousand people and none of them have to go to the office. Right. Well, you would think, but then it becomes, you know, there's questions of adverse impact in human resources. Is that adversely impacting certain types of workers in certain types of industries? Then it starts to get a little bit more complicated. But I think for us, it's the remote work, probably for every staffing engine, has been difficult. We have a better success ratio with companies that are more aligned with these methodologies in getting candidates to consider employment and keep employment there. That's been a big factor for us. Obviously, the vaccination requirements and the industry vertical challenges with that can be problematic with people. Somewhat uncomfortable to have those conversations with people, not typically a conversation you bring up in an HR service like this. Are you vaccinated? And if so, will you be? And why not? You know what I mean? Like (laughs) those become issues I think that are problematic. But for the most part, technology now more than ever, if you're not working with the latest and greatest or the best technology, especially in the Gen Zs and millennials, they just won't even talk to you about the job. Agree. It's the what have you done for me lately. Your customers are looking to make sure that you're invested in the right technology. So if you're going to support their business, that you have all the right tools, recruiters and potential salespeople want to know that you have all the bells and whistles to make them better, faster, stronger than the next guy. And so it is really the what's in it for me workforce. It's what's in it for me consumerism. Because think about the way that we've consumed throughout COVID. Alexa, reorder my water filter. Alexa, you know what I'm saying? Everything is right here. And our candidates are consumers. And so that behavior is bleeding into everything. And we have to be really mindful of that. You're 100% right. We're very far from the society that's there to build up society itself. We're not a workforce of workforce who wants to create a better society. We're a workforce who wants to create a better life for yourself. And again, broad strokes, right? Like, don't yell at me for this, but that's summing up what you said. And I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, I don't have to buy every technology. I don't need the newest technology. I just want efficiency. So like, if I get a new lead, I sell SaaS software. If I get a new lead, why am I going to email that person first necessarily directly? Why can't I have a system do it from my email address with the personal tone and just ask them for when they're available or tell them to give me times? I used to be offended by the Calendly link. I'm like, I'm going to be totally honest. Like People still are. I do both. I used to be totally offended by it. Now I'm like, where the hell's your Calendly link, right? (laughs) Yes. I give options for both. I say, hey, let me know a few times or if it's easier, throw some time on my calendar because I recognize people like I don't agree with it. It's not impersonal, but like scheduling with someone sucks. It's completely inefficient. I don't know what Gen Z, Y, baby boomer, freaking greatest generation Why would you want to go back and forth on email or phone calls or text messages for 20 minutes to an hour trying to schedule a call? So there's my soapbox. If you are offended by a Calendly link, grow up. All right, I got to grow up then. I got to grow up. Anastasia, you got to grow up. There is nothing more insulting to me than someone asking me to set up an appointment. I said, all right, let's do it. And then they tell me to go do it in their Calendly link. Like, what? Wait a minute. I'd still do both. Can I sell your product? I know. I'm a total traditionalist with you on that one. I accommodate both. 
But you booked on my calendar link, but I gave you both options. Yeah, but don't ever send it to me if you ever want to get a meeting with me. Well, no, I would never send it by itself. I understand, right? But like, if you're offended by it, if it comes secondary, like, hey, give me some times or throw some time on my calendar because it's, it is easier. That is the way that I present it now. It is more efficient. It comes down to a Gen X thing. It's just, I don't think it's appropriate way to manage your business with your client. I feel like you should be engaging in a different manner with your client and it can be somewhat insulting. Plus I'm old school. I really believe that you manage your sales process and that might take a few times to get a calendar link, but it keeps people moving. So for example, if I'm getting 500 emails a day, right? I'm responding. I'm reactive. I'm not necessarily thinking about jumping in someone's calendar proactively unless there's a fire. So that's where the Gen Xs are really kind of interesting. You know, these guys, I'll say it, we're definitely established professionals and we're pretty grounded folks. We're not big change agents. Some of that's how we grew up in the seventies. You know what I mean? With inflation and seeing all the stuff that happened in the seventies. You're kind of like the group that grew up in the depression. Yeah. We're a little bit more of a pillar. Very similar thing. Yeah, I call it Gen X is a little bit more of a pillar. A Gen X would be in the top five things, like of most horrible things that would happen would be like, you know, divorce, a death of a family member, job change, move. You know what I mean? Like we have our things that are a little bit different about us. But do you like the methods? I know I mildly offended you, which is okay, but. Oh no, I'm not offended. But do you think the model of like for everyone listening, the model of asking for time, or offering the link is okay? I would love a piece of software that you could suggest a time. And then if I said no, that it opened up your calendar and then I could pick one. Does that make sense? Drift does something like that. You could insert your calendar with a bunch of links. Okay, well, that's good to know. So if anyone's listening and wants to build calendar technology or improve on a Calendly tool, there's a suggestion from a very smart Gen Xer. Well, thank you. I still think the link is easier. It doesn't really offend me, but again, I... Just don't find it efficient. Like if it's not efficient, I don't want to do it. I'm with you. I used to find it super offensive. I was like, I'm not going to make an appointment for you. Jeez, you want me to sell the technology too? I mean, good God. I used to think the same thing, but since- forming your own business? Yeah, being on my own, but I do phrase it like that. You know, is there a time that works best for you? And if not, would you like to take a look at my calendar and see if there's something that works best? I just want to make sure that I'm accommodating to you. Then that's sort of the way that I present it. The messaging is important. Messaging is everything. Context and tone is very important. But I think that for me, it's the efficiency piece, which we're going back to, right? Anastasia, your ATS creates a candidate in Bullhorn for you. When they come in from the website, that's the efficiency I'm talking about, whether it's selling software or not. Like, as long as it's very efficient and it doesn't make manual work that doesn't really make sense. Because like an email from me that says it's automated, says, hey, let me know sometimes it worked for you. I'd love to speak with you about this. Or here's my calendar. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. That's a very different experience than, oh, hey, thank you so much. Throw some time on my calendar. Here's my link. That's very not personal, right? I think there has to be a level of authenticity and personality to it. So I agree with the efficiency piece of that, the Gen Z almost on that one. I would say best practices, right? Like with any technology they implement, you can use it to its best capability or its worst capability. And that's why adoption and success of technology, no matter what generation you are, really always comes down to training and building best practices and teaching people how to talk to people. It's how you apply it. Right. Yeah. Like some just say here, schedule on my calendar and then some do what you and Laura do. And so it's a different type of handshake and respect in establishing a business relationship. 
it is personal for the baby boomers and the Xers. And I know we laughed about this statement, but I have a CEO that's a baby boomer. And if he wants to Facebook, he puts his face in a book. Did you tell me this the other day? If someone says they want to link in with them, he says, I'm linked out. I know exactly how to find the people that I want to find. That is old. That's the nice part of being a CEO of a big company, it sounds like. (laughs) I'm linked out. Love that. I love it. All right. Anastasia, as always, this was super informative and very thoughtful and great. I really appreciate you. So thank you so much for your time. Lauren? Thanks for the invite. A lot of fun. So enjoyed it. Anastasia, thank you so much. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for tuning into the You On The Experience podcast. This is Rob. And I'm Lauren. Now go do something good. Bye, guys.